Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. It's good to be here. It's good to have made it here. Actually, there was, uh, I come from New Hamburg. Um, I'll introduce myself a little better in a moment. Uh, come from New Hamburg, and there was, we had snow there during the day, and I kept looking to see, well, what's it going to be like tomorrow? And I know they get uh, lake effect snow over there in Zurich, and uh, it did not look good. I was almost expecting to, uh, to call in this morning and say, I can't make it. But, you know, I, uh, we had more snow in New Hamburg than I experienced all the way here until we got to the other side of Exeter. Then all of a sudden we hit some snow and uh, slippery roads. But, uh, my name is Bruce Sawatsky. I live in New Hamburg. I, my wife Debbie and I have four children, three of whom are married. And one was just married two weeks ago. And uh, we celebrated with them. We have uh, five grandchildren to two of those children of ours. So four with one and one with another, and uh, we have one son that lives at home with us, um, probably will live with us for, for some time yet. He has epilepsy and uh, struggles with that. In fact, this morning I was up at 4 o'clock, I heard him fall and uh, had to help him uh, get to the bathroom and back. Um, so that's... Uh, an interesting part of our lives that we weren't anticipating and weren't expecting. Thank you for the sharing time this morning. Sir, I, I thank you for your, uh, your talk on, on marriage. That was really, that was really good. Um, I wasn't sure when you started why you were in that uncrowded courtroom on Friday the 13th, 35 years ago. Thanks for making that clear. This is a bit of a... um, I just figured this out on the way here this morning. Had a little time to think while I was driving. Um, I grew up in a Mennonite Brethren Church down in Niagara in Vineland and uh, left that church Um, in 1979, intentionally moved to Kitchener with my new wife, and uh, we wanted to get away from the Mennonite community. Had all kinds of issues in my own mind as to what constitutes a Christian as opposed to a Mennonite brethren. Um, and, And I... Up here, I knew what those differences were, but down here, I couldn't distinguish. Um, it had to do with so many cultural things, and I needed to separate some of that. Preached my last sermon at Vineland Mennonite Brethren Church 40 years ago. 
And over the years, I always dreamed that someday, someday I'll come full circle and I'll be able to be back in the Mennonite Brethren Church. Thank you very much for giving me that opportunity. And I think it's 40 years, maybe 41, but uh, pretty much 40 years. And glad to be here, glad to have uh, been able to come back, having sorted out some of those things and really not proud, but proud of my heritage and uh, my upbringing and, and uh, my faith as a follower of Jesus Christ within that Mennonite tradition. I heard something on the radio um, earlier this week that just caused me to do, well, actually it wasn't this week, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, that caused me to do some, some digging a little bit. Um, and it started with uh, the Collins Dictionary. I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with it. The Collins English Dictionary was established back in 1824. For if you have any interest in that, they went online in 2007. So if you do Google searches and you look for for definitions of words, you often come up with what Collins has to say. Well, this time every year, the people at Collins come out with what they call the word of the year. And when looking at all of the news and the events of the past year from a Eurocentric perspective, so it's not from a full worldwide perspective, but basically looking from uh, a Western perspective, um, mindset, uh, they suggest a word or a phrase that best characterizes that year. It's rather an ambitious project, but interesting and maybe a little bit fun for the ones that are working on it. For example, 2017. Do you really remember what happened in 2017? What was going on? kind of cloudy in my mind, but the word that they chose for 2017, actually not always a word, but sometimes it's a phrase. What they put out in 2017 was fake news. That brings a whole lot back into perspective, doesn't it? About what was going on in 2017. 2018 was single use. Plastics. Straws, shopping bags, all that kind of stuff was all the rage in 2018. 2019 was climate strike. You remember that young Swedish schoolgirl, Greta Thunberg, and all of the um, headlines she got, and all of the, uh, the responses, and, and just a, a phenomenal thing that went on. Very controversial as to which side of the fence you sat on with regard to that whole issue. 2020, what was the word for 2020? Lockdown. But yeah, it was all about COVID, wasn't it? All about COVID. Lockdown was the word and we were all there. Got to think, you know, there's no point in us remembering all of that stuff because there's nobody to tell it to. Everybody was there. <laughs> you know, we like, to, we like to remember the stories of what happened, especially those big events, so we can tell somebody later. can't tell anybody about 2020 because everybody had the same story. 2021 was vax. 
Interesting what that word stirs up and all the prefixes bandied about, double vaxxed, triple vaxxed, anti-vax. One way or another, that word has impacted every one of us sitting here as well. Well, what happens when you get to 2022? That's the new one. Many would likely nod in agreement with the word of the year from Collins for 2022, permacrisis. Permacrisis. They didn't quite invent the word, but it's a fairly new word. I think it uh, was first recognized about a year, a year and a half ago. I did a little bit of research, just fooling around on the internet just to see a little bit more about this. Adam Tooze, who is a historian of economic disaster. Wouldn't you like to be a, a feel or a, a, what do you call it, an expert in the area of economic disaster. He's a historian of economic disaster. He was quoted in the Atlantic um, in July of this year. He said, when considering the sheer accumulation of problems the world currently faces from conflict, Ukraine, and many other places in the world. Um, conflict, climate crisis, the pandemic, rising inflation. The whole, when you look at the whole picture, he says, the whole is even more dangerous than the sum of the parts. What in the world does that mean? Well, Scott White, um, he's the editor of theconversation.com. He comments on some of that. He says, indeed, permacrisis suggests that the very decision to accelerate, he uses some hard words here, but just hang on for a bit, you'll get it right at the end. Um, the very that every decision to accelerate a difficult situation a particular crisis, in order to come out on the other side of it, risks something far worse. Now it'll get a little clearer. He adds, permacrisis signals not only a loss of faith in progress, but also a new realism in relation to what people can cope with and achieve. Our crises, he says, have become so complex and so deep-seated that they can transcend our capacity to understand them. Any decision to tackle them risks not only making things worse, oh, sorry, risks only making things worse. We're thus faced with a troubling conclusion. Our crises are no longer a problem. They're a stubborn fact. Perma crisis. Well, I'm not here to tell you what all of these commentators tell us about our issues and our concerns and our fears and our perma crises. What does God's Word have to say to you and me? That's really what matters to us, isn't it? What does God's Word say to you and me in a day when a word like permacrisis describes the perceived state of the world, does the follower of Jesus just stand in agreement? Yep, permacrisis, we're overwhelmed, we can't handle it. 
can't unravel it because we attack one thing and we just make it worse over here. We're done. Is that where the believer stands? I hope not too. <laughs> well, let's look back a little bit. Adam and Eve, created by the spoken word of God at the outset of creation, they were placed in a perfect world of sunny days, ripe fruit, friendly wildlife, colorful meadows, and no reason to report to the office or the salt mine or the power-tripping boss at 7 o'clock on any morning. But it didn't last. Almost immediately, that first couple found themselves in a crisis. What do we do about the fact that we're naked? Did you realize that was their first crisis? That's not the first mistake they made, but that was the first crisis that came to them when they chose to eat the, the forbidden fruit. We're naked. What are we going to do? Right on its heels was a second crisis after they went into hiding. The second crisis is, what in the world are we going to tell God when He asks us why we ate that forbidden fruit? Not long after that, crisis number three, how are we going to provide for ourselves? In a weed-infested and dangerous, fallen and twisted world outside of the garden, how are, we going to how are we going to manage? And then there was the uncertainty and the all-encompassing pain of childbirth. Soon there was a murder in the family. Crisis after crisis after crisis. All of them, either directly, and I think this is important, all of them, either directly or indirectly, the result of the entry of sin into our world. Crises invited by Adam and Eve. Men by us said we'd been there. So if you look through the biblical and even the non-biblical history, the story of humanity is the story of crises. When you study history in high school, as I did many years ago, it's all about crises, putting dates and times and places to crises. War, murder, disease, hunger, floods, Fear, fire, hatred, all mingled together to produce crises after crisis. In commenting upon his friend Job's suffering, in Job 5 verse 7, Eliphaz says it well. He says, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Well, late in the Middle Ages, a new perspective began to gain traction. Eventually became known as humanism. This perspective gradually pushed aside any notion of God and began to declare 
that human beings, basically good in nature, would overcome and eventually rid the human species of crises. War would end. Disease would be eradicated. Undesirable natural phenomenon would be controlled. Crises would be relegated to the history books along with God and this book. But if the 21st century has taught us anything at all, it has revealed how little has really changed in the hearts of men and women since the introduction of sin into our world. Crises, man-made, natural, orchestrated, and imagined are all alive and well. They have not gone away. In fact, they're more abundant than ever. And apparently, they've added up to what Collins refers to as perma-crisis in 2022. But you know, Jesus came. He came to dwell in the midst of our crises and he experienced his own crisis in the middle of all of that. Jesus was born in the midst of a crisis. Mary, his mother, was about to give birth in an unknown town with no friends, no room at the inn, and only a stable available. That was tough, I imagine. Jesus fled with his parents to Egypt, and I mean literally fled for their lives, or at least for Jesus' life, to literally escape the sword of Herod. Crisis. And from the lack of any mention of his father beyond Jesus' very early years, it's assumed that Jesus experienced death in the family, his own father, when he was a young boy. He knew crisis. And on and on it goes. What did the prophet say? The prophet in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, he said, Jesus, well, he didn't use the name Jesus, but he predicted that, that he would be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. This Jesus, who had already navigated more than his fair share of crises, comforted his followers. And that's the passage that Poppy read to us this morning. Part of it. It's a long discourse. I, I love to spend time in those chapters in the book of John, um, where it begins the, the beginning of chapter 14 and on through 15 and down through 16 and 17, um, where the very end of Jesus' public ministry, the very end of his life, his focus is all about the guys that he spent three years with. 
It's not about his troubles. It's about how you guys are going to get along. How you guys are going to survive. How you're going to be able to deal with the issues and the crises that come along in your lives. And so through those, those several chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's almost exclusively Jesus speaking with a few narrated sections in between. And from the midst of his personal crisis, realizing that his life was coming to an end, the opportunity to do what God had called him to do was being brought very quickly to an end. Jesus' focus is on the lives of his close friends. He longed for them to be at peace. He longed for them to be filled with joy and to be charged with greater faith. If you turn to, to uh, John 14 when Poppy was reading, maybe you've still got it there. If you don't, turn with me to John 14 if you've got your Bibles. Just uh, three verses, verses 27, 28, and 29. There's so much we could look at there. I just want to focus on those three verses briefly. Jesus said, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not be troubled and don't be afraid. My peace I leave with you. He said, it's not, the word, it's not the kind of peace that the world offers. This is a different kind of a peace. It's a peace that begins in here, and it's a relational peace. It's a peace that begins with your relationship with God Himself. It doesn't begin with putting down your weapons and your words and whatever it is that you're using in your conflict. It's peace that begins in here and it's a relational peace. Jesus wanted them to experience that kind of peace. He wasn't just, in fact, Jesus wasn't just going to die. Their peace was founded upon something, an understanding of where Jesus was going. He wasn't just Dying, He just wasn't coming to an end of His ministry. He was going to be with His Father. He was at peace with that. And He wanted them to share that peace. Jesus had struggled back in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember that, where He asked the Father to, to not... Well, he basically asked if there was another way. But he came to the end of that struggle. He, he submitted himself to the will of the Father and was filled with peace. <laughs> An understanding that the end of his life would be, a reuniting, would be reuniting with his Father. His glory was to be revealed. His Father had everything ready for him. 
His father had assured him, you've done everything that I asked you to do. Nobody was taking Jesus' life from him. Jesus gave it up. At any point, he could have stopped the process and said, nope, you guys, I'm the Son of God. You're not putting me on a cross. You're not going to whip me. You're not going to make a fool of me. You're not going to spit on me. He could have done that at any point. He chose to give himself to deal with the, the, the problem of sin in the world. And in doing so, was reunited with his father. That was to bring peace to his followers. Beyond peace, Jesus urged them to rejoice. So don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Relax. Rejoice. What in the world? Rejoice. Jesus, everything's coming to an end. And we're supposed to, what, can, what is there to rejoice about? Look what he says in verse 28. He said, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is far greater than I am. If you loved me, you'd be glad. It'll bring you joy. The better we understand who Jesus really not only was, but is, the easier it is to understand the joy that comes to us as human beings because Jesus went to be with His Father. Because Jesus went through the cross to be with His Father. Something here that just brings great joy as we put our trust in Jesus in the midst of our crises. Jesus promised earlier in the, in the same discourse, in verse 16 of chapter 14, He said that when He goes to His Father, He will send the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate, another, well, the, the Greek word there is paraclete. You've probably heard it, and I'm just really impressing you with my great depth of Greek knowledge. Yeah. But the word is paraclete, which um, can be translated in a number of ways. It's, it's about one who, call, who is called to come alongside, to help. Um, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, so Jesus said, I'll ask the Father and He'll give you another paraclete, another advocate, another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. 
lost my place. He is, he is the Holy, He will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world can't accept Him because it's not looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you and will live in you. Jesus hoped for them to experience peace when everything was crashing down around them. He wanted them to be filled with joy because the Holy Spirit, our Advocate, our Comforter, our Helper, walks with us. No, lives within us to comfort and encourage us as we face whatever the world brings our way. And Jesus hopes to see their faith increased. Verse 29, I've told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you'll believe. When they do happen, your faith will be increased. When we trust Him in our storms, we find that our faith increases. The world sees perma-crisis. The followers of Jesus see Jesus. The world experiences fear, doubt, anger, despondency. The followers of Jesus Lean into the Holy Spirit who comforts and encourages, who gives peace, who gives joy, who increases our faith. I don't know about permacrisis, but I am certain that you and I face crises every day. And every one of those challenges provides an opportunity for you to trust the one who understands your troubles, who walked through his own crises and now walks with you through your challenges, who promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. I hope that your year of 2022 has not been best described by permacrisis. And even if it has, I invite you to turn that all around. Say, Jesus has been in the midst of all of this stuff. And I'm not afraid of everything coming undone. Because He is in control. Nobody has taken the world from Him. Not the conflicts in Ukraine. Not COVID. Not the state of the economy. Not the price of houses. Or the price of gas. Let's look to Him. Let's invite Him to walk with us through those crises, in those crises. 
He'll bring joy. He'll bring peace. And our faith will be increased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you sent an advocate, a counselor, an encourager, the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us and to walk with us through our challenges and through our crises. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith to walk with you, to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.